Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, joined by the regular crew of rugby gobshites, that is Westy and Sammy Barnacles. Uh, sorry, Westy, that wasn't called for. I apologise, Westy, off the bat. I didn't mean to call you a gobshite, but um, am, am, am I wrong? I'll be called an agent any day of the week. I call it gobshite. It's a little bit, little bit harsh. I draw the line there. Uh, gobshite is a fantastic insult, by the way. I feel, I feel bad for other countries that they don't have gobshite in their in their in their dictionary. I think gobshite and clown are kind of the two worst ones. Do you know, someone calls you a clown, like what about a ginnet? Is that is that just a cavern thing? But someone calls you a ginnet. I feel like that's a quality one. Is that no one ever heard that? What about a guawadza? What about a guawadza? What if you repeatedly call yourself a guawadza to a taxi driver, Westy? Sam, drop it in that regional dialect, the say, Chinese dialect. This is only anyone who's in China at the same time you guys are there. Because uh, it's gone straight away. Anyone who's in a very specific area in China where they speak a very specific dialect of Chinese. But essentially it means dickhead. And I was in the back of a taxi in a completely different area of China trying to tell the taxi driver he was a dickhead but was using the I'm a form of the like telling them so i was just shouting i'm a dickhead at this time <laughs> brilliant he's probably agreeing he's like yes correct uh like, yeah, happy yeah. Days. Yeah, uh westy how was you how was your weekend i had a, a wonderful uh, fairly magical weekend um i spent sunday afternoon in a mythical place not only to go away locals as elf town um i've never niece. heard of this place until you told me today sam is a big big fan of elf town Sam has a child, for though, sure. so no, that makes my, sense. My old boss used to run it, so she kept trying to get me to work at it. She got like a bunch of the lads I worked as to to work at it as well. So uh, it's it's grown, it's class, it's unbelievable. It uh, it is actually pretty cool. Like, so we brought my niece. Uh, now she doesn't have the best attention span in the world, but she really really enjoyed it. They they do put a lot of effort into it, uh, into like, different sections of it. There's like a room, there's like an ice room. I don't know if anyone's ever been to one of them ice bars that you find in like, I don't know, Prague or wherever they do this crazy shit. But like a, a room where everything's made of ice, it's cold, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I did it yeah, like, in Amsterdam and I was like, like uh, you know, the cups, the glasses are ice and it's just like, you know, not very pleasant. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah turns out. It keeps ice. your drink cold though. It do, you know what? One of the few pros was, you know, drink was fresh. That's for sure. Yeah. We had a great evening yesterday at Elftown uh, with my niece. So uh, that was uh, pretty cool. Well worth the trip. Sounds like you're promoting Elftown live. Are you working for Elftown, Westy? Let me just take off my Elftown t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which you can get at com <laughs> store. <laughs> no, no. It, honestly, like, it's, it, you pay for it, right? It's, it's an expensive kind of Santa's grotto, but they do put a lot into it. If you bring a few kids with you, it's definitely it's definitely a decent trip. Just clarify your own kids. Don't be just picking up random kids and bringing them to Elftown. Just want to suggest you're not signing off on that, are you? No, not at all. I did get a funny look at one point where there was like a dancing section and there was a, an elf there like, kind of dancing with my niece and she's like oh, do you want to dance with your dad and pointed at me and he went he's not my dad and carried on dancing you kind of looked at me and i was like i'm her uncle <laughs> she's like oh just to clarify i only yeah. met him today <laughs> he's a nice guy though he's got a great fan <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> see if that makes the editing got process <laughs> i think i'll leave it in. uh sam how about you how was your weekend yeah, fairly bog standard. Uh, watching a lot of rugby on Saturday, bringing my daughter to rugby tots. She's still flying. I think Operation, Operation. I, I, I don't know where to pigeonhole her because at the moment she just kind of likes running really fast around the place. So she might end up being a winger. Uh, could be a fullback. 
doesn't really seem to have the size or attention span for any of the other positions. So I'm thinking Operation Wing. I've gone from Operation 12, Operation 8, Operation uh, to Operation 14. That's my that's my new thing now. That's uh, I'm, I'm getting there. She's she's the next Mac Hansen, next Bevan Parsons. That's that's my goal. I was gonna say, it's kind of harsh to criticize her size. She's two. I don't think you can Oh, really... she's scotty though. Like you buy the two. <laughs> You buy the two to three uh, matching trackies in pennies and the jumpers always fit her absolutely fine and the trousers are about three foot too long for her. So she's a, she is, she's a little scutty. She's, kind of, she's a little mover though. Low center of gravity is what I hear there. That's what I hear. Bowling yeah. ball. I, I don't know. I figure she's the next Bevan Parsons. That's my, that's my hope anyway. If, if she could be anywhere near as good as Bevan Parsons after all. I mean, books, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, so, oh, yeah. you know. Probably the most talented Irish player ever in the women's game. Uh, but, you know, set your, set your sights pretty high. It's good, Sam. Um, I was back home. Uh, my brother's 40th birthday party was on. So I was home for that, uh, which was good fun. Went out for dinner, had a few drinks. And, yeah, it wasn't too bad. We had a big meal. So, like, I, you know, I was so full I couldn't really get drunk, which is always, always kind of nice because the next day I was grand. But uh, I was on the Jemson Gingers. God, they're so tasty. Such a good drink. I might, I might have to bring that back into my regular repertoire. Uh, of drinks but yeah it was good fun good always good to be back home um but yeah got to got to see the kind of game obviously it's not you know watching it around family it's not the same as watching at home but got to see a majority of it uh we'll get stuck into the urc action now so yeah kind of down uh, against the bulls in south africa uh, uh loftus versus field um on saturday uh bulls beaten kind of 53 points to 27 and uh, not a great scoreline for sure but interesting game uh Connick's first big loss of the season uh, it was 35 degree heat, I think, at the time of the game. Altitude, obviously. So there was a lot of factors against Connacht in this. Um, but it was a very so-so performance. Uh, we'll get stuck into the game. Westy, uh, how are you feeling coming out of that game as a Connacht fan? How, how would you rate that performance? Uh, the performance overall, I think I was... I'm disappointed with it. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of it that can be, you know attributed down to the conditions like you say 35 degree heat very intense game a week before i think we only got uh we only got there two days before it so we didn't really have time to get used to the altitude um there were times especially early on when we looked quite lethargic we looked quite um i don't want to say exhausted but we we didn't seem to have the same kind of drive that we've had in the other weeks and, and that leads to some pretty pretty glaring errors for for most of the first couple of tries you know I, like Bulls are a fantastic team. Like their offloading game is, is outstanding. I think sorry, I want to say their handling overall is really impressive. I mean, their ability to hold passes that are down at their ankles and the, you know, even Willie LaRue uh bobbling a ball around in both hands before eventually kind of batting it off for an offload. It's just uh it was really, really impressive. Um I don't think we were as awake to it maybe as we could have been. Um I think that we fought back pretty well. I think we played pretty well in the second half. We finished it strong, but again, it was a little bit the Connacht of old where we score a penalty and then they score a try in the other corner almost instantly. We score a try and they score a try almost instantly. Um, and then we score a try with three minutes to go. We get a penalty and someone gives that to the ref and we get it turned against us. You know, So it's just this little kind of... I think we were a little bit... We were 2 or 3% off mentally where we needed to be and it, it left to these gaps, or maybe even physically, mentally and physically perhaps, um, it led to these gaps opening up that let them kind of build this fairly insane scoreline at half time. Um, we were impressive in how we fought back and how we gave ourselves a chance to take something from the game, but then just, you know, on the pitch stupidity. And it does it does appear that throughout the URC this week, uh, officials were particularly uh, taking no shit. I mean, I think it was in the Ulster, uh, in the Leinster-Munster game, 
Uh, I think quite early on, uh, Chris Busby marched um, was it Leinster or Munster back ten meters for one kind of bit of dissidence. So it's consistent across the league. But yeah, I, I, overall, I'm I'm disappointed. I can caveat it with you know with reasons and kind of be a little bit disappointed. But I think again, I'm going to say that overall, the trips South Africa getting an away win, uh, getting one from two is great. I do feel like we left the point behind us though overall. Yeah, I agree with that part. It's yeah, it's sort of because we won last weekend. It's it's not as annoying or not as frustrating uh, that we lost again. It's Bulls are a really good team, especially in in South Africa. They're they're uh, I think Sammy said they're unbeaten against Northern Hemisphere teams uh, at home. So it's not like you go in expecting a win there. But yeah, like I agree, that the heat definitely causes some of the mistakes. But some of the mistake, like again, the restarts, we just can't seem to get that under wraps. Um, that's uh, you know you can't blame the heat for that S- silly mistakes as you said mental mistakes that that could come from the heat but as you said we finished the game really strong so fatigue and and mental exhaustion were a big factor you you don't think we'd finish as strongly as we did um, but on the positives having a chance to to score that four try with, with, with in the last dying minutes and to have, to get a point would have been obviously amazing uh, and even being in that position away to the bulls is always a plus but shipping 53 points is is never ideal obviously that's that's not good but i don't know it's a strange a strange game to, to to kind of summarize as a fan Sam, what were what were your thoughts the hard one to analyze like I, I agree with the both of you i think that there's mistakes there that you can attribute to the conditions to the altitude to the heat to the travel to the intensity of the game the week before and then there's also mistakes that do need to be looked at the 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 restarts is one that for sure needs to be looked at we gathered three of them one was particularly kind of jumping maybe Kyle Ford if he hadn't have had that mistake earlier in the season he lets that other one bounce but you know he's on the back foot and he kicks it out and we don't get as good as an exit we like and then after we gather three of them they decide to target the front and we we can't gather quite a seemingly easy kick to gather you know so that that really would frustrate you kicking it out in the full I don't blame Carty for the one that went out in the full, but you do see that what happens regularly when we do kick it out in the full is that we concede or that we we look frail and fragile when things aren't going to plan. I think our, our tactical kicking and our territorial kicking wasn't as strong as the Bulls. We played a good bit of kick tennis and we got some out of it, but then Willie Rue just pinned us back and they were managing like between himself and Van der Velt, they were just picking parts of the pitch. They were, they were walking us around and they were playing quite an offensive version of that kick tennis and we were kind of reactionary into what was happening and that spread us too too thin and too wide and we weren't able to in any way impose our game plan and when we did manage to start imposing a game plan towards the end of the game we started to really come alive and started to really ask questions of them and Bulls fans might turn around and say yeah we had shut off we had scored 53 points we didn't really care but it still shows there was times during that game all throughout the game in fits and starts where we did manage to get little bit of foothold in the game and we did show what we were capable of doing we just didn't didn't prolong that throughout the entire game and we just definitely weren't at the races in the first half be that the altitude be that the shock to the system with the heat whatever it was when there was changes made after halftime I thought Sean O'Brien made a massive difference I thought he was excellent when he came on you're not going to blame Jansen for not not stepping up because it's his first game in five or six months in that heat it's a bit of a baptism of fire though when Blade came on he made a big difference and that's there's not a slide on Colin Riley, still young, but it is a bit worrying that we've gone from a position where we had Marmion and Blade all last year to have the choice of the two of them to now have you do you do have a reliance on Blade until Riley steps up. And you have to get Riley game time because he's not going to step up otherwise. But you do 
you see the benefit of having played there. And I thought uh, Niall Murray made a massive difference when he came on. And that was brilliant to see because I do think that he needs to get a bit more game time starting because he was so integral to what we were doing good last season. And he's such a weapon at the line out. He's such a weapon in the open field. He might not have the same bulk and ballast as the likes of a Dowling, but he, he adds so much more, in my opinion. Other than that, I thought there was good performances in parts from a lot. I was really impressed with Hawkshaw starting at 13. He'd come on there a couple of times during the game or during the games this season, but that was his first start as far as I'm aware at 13. And I don't think that he he set a foot wrong. I think he was very smart on the line. He made a decision to not pull it back when there was two, when they were up too quickly a couple of times. So I was impressed with that quick thinking uh, and Ralston as well. I think after halftime, he stepped up and he showed exactly what I've been impressed with this year. I'd love for him to get a try or two. So suddenly the media would start noticing that this Irish qualified winger was doing what he's doing because defensively he's very good. On the whole, though, the team won't be hugely happy with it. I'm going to contextualize everything and caveat it with that. I just think that the going into the game, I didn't have much belief. I thought a bonus point of any sort, be that a losing bonus point or a try bonus point, was going to be good enough because the conditions were going to be so hard because how imperious the Bulls are at home. They they take a lot of pride in that Ellis Park and they don't like being beaten there. They haven't been beaten by a Northern Hemisphere team there. And, you know, we had an attritional game the week before. We've had a, a tough run of fixtures. It was always going to be a very, very difficult task for them. So I, I'm i just going to put it up as one of them. You go through your blocks of games as a coach before the season. I don't think they would have pointed at this one as any sort of guarantee of a point. I think they'd be happy with the the four from six and the points they've accumulated so far. And as a block of games goes and a trip to South Africa goes, it's all been positive. Yeah, I think just on the blade, so Colin Riley started the last two games, uh, has he? Is is that do we do we believe that to be just we're getting him game time and we're trusting him for these two games? Like I'm not saying you know results would have went differently, but Blade obviously is by far your best number nine. Is there is, is Blade carrying a knock that I'm not aware of, or is he coming back from a knock that I'm not aware of fully, or why do we see Colin Riley starting these two games, Sam? What well, do you think? Blade did go down uh, a couple of games ago. You know he went off and it was a worrying one, but he seemed to be back then straight away, so it, it looked all rosy. But he might be carrying a small little knock. You know he's able to play through, but they're managing. But I I think most of it is probably. These two games were always going to be bonuses in my mind. You go to South Africa and you, you, regardless of what you want to say to the media, you, as a coaching ticket and as a behind the scenes team, you look at blocks of games. You know, Alex Ferguson in soccer for years was able to do this. He'd have players were just out in the cold seemingly for an entire season. And then they'd come alive for three games in January. And it come out at the end of the season that they were, they were focusing on those three as winnable games where they were focusing on games that weren't winnable or focused on games that they didn't really want to want to put too much resources into and I think that this South Africa trip is a bonus any points you got on it was got, was seen as a bonus because of how hard historically going to South Africa has been since the South African four have joined the URC so I think they went this is a good chance to get Colin Riley amongst in a full squad there's no massive benefit throwing him in with 14 other changes against Ebrayer Dragons and, you know, getting a good result or getting a scrappy game or not getting that cohesion. He needs to be playing with the club captain, Jack Cardi, with a proper centre partnership behind the full pack. And that's what they did. They integrated it well. And that's the area that they need to integrate the most because we have quite a good level of depth everywhere else. That's the point where we are kind of the biggest step down from starter to, to understudy. And they need to bring him up to that level so that we do have two full squads worth of players. So I think they've done that on purpose and they've, they've allowed him that time. And maybe it is also benefiting Blade, you know, to get him that that rest because you're going to need him in these interpros and Europe. And you do, you see the benefit of Blade when he comes on. You need you, We need that as a team. 
Yeah, definitely. No, it's, and like Wesley, we kind of see that with the team selection a little bit or squad selection for the game. You know, if Owen the Butler, Sam Elo on the bench, it wouldn't be. You know, you're, you're kind of starting or, or, or even probably on the on the bench. Um, and then you have obviously starts for the likes of Sean Jansen. It was his first game. Uh, Hawkshaw thirteen. It was it was on the side of experimental a little bit. Uh, do you think the, the coaches viewed that as this game as this? Like we we got the win last week. That was, as Sam said, and I agree totally. That was a huge bonus. Let's you know th- this game while it might not be great on on the table. Could be good later later in the season when Sean Johnson is a bit more experienced. When when Owen the Butler and Sam Elo have that game time under the belt now, do you do you agree with that? I do. I do, and I don't. Um, I totally agree from the perspective that you. Uh, I, I think multiple people have said it over the last couple of weeks uh, as regards the URC and, and and you know players coming back to each team and stuff. You, in, in a league like this, especially in a condensed season, keep in mind we're, we're playing more games in a row than we normally would because normally we'd have a break around this time. Well, in, in November maybe we'd have a, a week or two break. Um, you can't win it with a, with a fifteen. You also can no longer really win it with a twenty-three. You kind of need a, a, a 25, 28 team roster to to really give yourself a chance because rotation has become such a heavy part of the league. Um, I I don't think a team ever goes out really well. I, I'm sure it does happen, but I don't think it's 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 as simple as this. We won't worry about this game. But we'll think about next week. I, I think they always kind of pick a team that they believe can win that game. Um. Or at least has the has the ability to win that game, even if you know it, maybe it, it's it's unlikely. Um, I totally agree with likes of Colin Riley. You know, it, it did look like uh, Brady had a bit of a uh, an injury in the not an injury, but a, a snag maybe in the Ulster game. So that might hint at why he's being rotated a bit more. But also, you know, you say the likes of Sean Jansen. If you're not going to get him game time, then now then when you know if he's if he's starting the the the, the league late. Um, Tommy Faz as well has played so many games. You know, it's just natural these guys would need a bit of a break and need to be rotated out. And I think that we 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 said before in this podcast that the the Connacht floor has gone up. Um, and if we if we want that to be the case, if we want that to be true in the first place, and we want that to develop further as an idea, then squad players have to be getting games. And you know, I, I don't mean squad players as in to say that anybody's lower down than anybody else, but the game becomes more than about the 15 players on the pitch. It's, it's about that big squad that you bring down to South Africa, getting those guys game time. And yeah, like I, I think a lot of players will benefit from the harsh conditions and the experience of the tour as well, right? Like a lot of people have talked about the South Africans been in the league uh, and even from the other side, the South Africans coming up here, but uh, going there as a group of 15 and, you know, an old fashioned rugby tour to South Africa for two, three weeks and, and really bonding as a group and getting to know each other better. I think that is really, really important. As I say, when you talk about a squad based game, not just a here's our starting 15 every week, we'll change it if someone's injured. You know, and I think that mentality has long since been proven to not really be the case in the URC. And I think, um, I think we're driving that standard as well ourselves. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great point. Again, I suppose looking at it. Again, the only thing that slightly annoys me is that you know going down there, obviously you'd have to play perfect really to to win the game against the Bulls. That was that was never in question. But Connacht seemed to be really really poor at at least not making it difficult to beat them in those games. Like you know, what I mean, they shoot themselves in the foot too often, where the Bulls, they're, you know, they're handing the Bulls points at times, and we do seem to have bad knacks of when we make a mistake, it almost always results in a try, uh, restarts and stuff like that. You know, I, I would love to see Connacht get better at that. Of you know. And Munster are the kings of this, where like they might not be the better team, but they'll be just they're just hard to beat. And Connacht sometimes this season they've been a lot better at it. But with games like that, I feel like they could have you know just just do the small things, simple things well, 
and then look hey if the Bulls beat you they're a better team then you know what we, you hold your hands up to that and you can accept that uh, and no one's ever going to you know begrudge that but if you can just narrow at least that or make it make I don't know, make yourself hard to beat in those games I don't know if that's a strategy change um, I don't know if that means you, you, you're less adventurous with stuff I'm not saying that's right or wrong but do you think do you agree with that Sam Connick sometimes they make themselves almost easy to beat rather than hard to beat yeah I agree to an extent I think that that has been prevalent for the last few years uh, less so towards the end of last year and less so this year I think you you look at you know, even that Edinburgh game where they did beat us, we made we made it very hard to beat us. And then we we beat Ulster, even though it looked like we, they were easily going to beat us. And the Sharks should have beaten us, apparently, because we played shocking, according to everyone. But we managed to grind out that win. But if you look at Bulls over the last however many years they've been in the URC, they regularly put up to 50 to 60 points on teams from the Northern Hemisphere going down, down there. So no matter how hard you become to beat week in, week out, which I think we have gotten much better at, I don't think we're perfect. I think that there's a lot of mistakes. Like that Bulls team just at home are a different animal, pardon the pun. They they managed to go for it. They, they're so strong running. They hit you where it hurts. There was a couple of times in the first half where they exploited some poor pillar work and they got through. And we, yeah, we did a couple of drop balls and stuff. And those are issues. I don't think it's been prevalent the entire way through this season. I think that we've made ourselves very hard to beat. We were talking two weeks ago about the mental fortitude of this team, about how they would never say die and how they, they really looked like they'd upped that side of things. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt until it happens a couple more times this season and say that, that that Bulls game is just Bulls at altitude in heat after a tough slog of an away game, a tough couple of weeks, and it was one that just got away from them. I'm I'm not going to agree that that's, that's the same issues that we've seen in the last few years because I think we've shown a couple of times this season that we've not had that issue. If it happens a few more times, come back to me in a couple of weeks after the Interpros, if we've shipped 40 points in each of them, then yeah, we could have a conversation. But I think this year we've actually shown an ability to get over the mistakes and to to not let it get to us. And we've been praising that. So I don't want to take that away from them after one bad result in a really, really hard environment. No, you're right. No, you're right. And that is, they have been definitely better. They've won a lot of tight games. It's just, yeah, that was, uh, the example on Saturday was just frustrating because again, I don't think even if they played really, really well, it was, probably, it was always going to be tough to win. But just, you know, just to make it a bit harder. But uh, look at the table now, Connacht. Uh, it looks bad. They're on the seventh, but they're on the same points as fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, and eighth. Uh, and only two points behind third place. So still very, very tight. Uh, only Glasgow and Leinster really kind of separating themselves a little bit in the first and second spot. But it's all to play for. Um, yes, four wins from six is still still very good. Uh, no, no one can play with that. But we're coming to a tough run of fixtures now, Leinster this week. But we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, let's move on to that Leinster game. Uh, Interpro at Aviva on Saturday. Leinster hosted Munster. And Leinster come away on top 21 points to 16. But by no means an easy, easy win. Um, lineups, Westy very different. Uh, Munster kind of went with, by, by no means, the starting strongest team that they could. Whereas Leinster, pretty much, that could be an Irish team. Uh, looking at everyone who started, all have probably international caps. Um very very strong team but also looked like a team that hadn't played in a while uh some of the sloppiness in that first half Munster were kicking the ball up open unders and Leinster knocked on the ball a lot of times couldn't deal with it is that just sloppiness from Leinster just but having not played a lot of these internationals haven't played since the World Cup yeah I think so I mean uh, um as you said it's I mean bar one or two it's it's a team that could start for Ireland you know one or two positions altered or or maybe somebody starting from the bench and, and someone else uh, in the starting 15. But um, 
they did bring back the bulk of their heavy hitters, let's say, last week against uh, against Scarlets and, and got a good hit out against well, a, a young Scarlets traveling team. Um, but yeah, there looked to be kind of, I don't know, maybe on characteristic errors, errors from certain players. Like I know Guy Ringos has got a lot of stick for kind of flying up and missing a tackle on Zebo, but that kind of, um, that kind of, uh, I can't remember, that kind of blitz kind of defense, that kind of, being a, a quick run up to shut down defence is something Gary Ringos has done quite a lot. Um, he's usually really good at picking those moments to decide when he, he charges that line and, try, and tries to put the uh, attack under pressure. But it, it just didn't seem uh, he just didn't seem kind of um, as on the ball as usual in his defi- decision making. I think that's apparent kind of around the pitch. They didn't have the same fluidity that you normally see with a Leinster attack. The same kind of you know danger from anywhere. Um, Looked up against fantastic opposition from Munster, and yeah, look, it, it's maybe not the ideal start in Munster, but it's not a million miles away either. Do you know, you've the likes of obviously Peter Mahoney out injured, and Edwin Adogbo who's been fantastic all season, uh, unavailable. But you know, then you've got Jean Klein and Ty Byrne in the second row, and that's not exactly a weakened second row either. Same with the back row, really. I mean, like Hodden and Coombs in particular, and, and, and Hearn too. I mean, have been so impressive uh, so far in the season. Um, obviously, I think you lose a little bit out, you know, you know, Peter Romani, uh, you know, the the talisman that he is, kind of guiding that team. But um, no, I think I think Leinster got a bit of a shock when Munster started so strong, you know, scored quite quickly and then kept the pressure on. Leinster grew a bit more into the game, but you know, it, it never really looked like a, a sure thing from the Leinster side. And I think I think you're right. I think it's down to a, a cohesion issue. It's down to a kind of uh, you know a lot of those guys coming back from the World Cup, you know. It's, come back from the World Cup and you're eager to kind of get back to winning ways, but it can also be a difficult thing to shake off when you've had a kind of disappointing campaign in France and you were away for two months and you're trying to get back to not only your life in rugby, but your life as well outside of rugby. So, um, yeah, probably a slow start from Leinster, but from their perspective, they got the job done. They got the win. They won't care too much that Munster picked up a bonus point at this time of the season and and the way they play. That's not really going to bother them too much, I don't think. Was that sorry? Was that Tom O'Hearn's first time playing six? Because uh, like he's a second row really, and like I thought he was class. I thought he was brilliant, and I don't think that they missed uh, the likes of O'Mahony there uh, because of the kind of the abrasion he brought. But I don't remember him playing back row before. No, I'm pretty sure that well, Munster fans can correct us, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's the first time he's played. Uh, but that's you know that's sort of modern way of playing. A lot of times we talked about Dowling playing at six as well for Connacht, like the you know. Yeah, it's funny. It's probably like three inches taller than him, but still, it's funny because you have Ty Byrne, who people regularly say is more of a back row than a second row. So it's a it's really interesting tactic. I thought going into that game, looking at it, I think I just used the term a bit roly over when I saw the squad picked, and they were anything but. They were uh, they were very impressive, and it's worrying from a kind of point of view to see the gap between Leinster and Munster kind of tightened because I was I always just figured that that Lancer were just on their own above us all and then we would kind of battle it out and we we try and maybe get a scalp or two and sneak the third best province or even the second best province if we were really lucky but it looks like Munster have stepped up you know they won the league last year and then that that performance was just excellent as well but this is this is what I'm saying like Munster are just they're never easy to beat no matter who they put out they just have this dogness and it's, it's players like Hodnett and players like Gavin Coombs who have that edge to them and have that kind of nastiness to them but that's you know they're always gonna they're always gonna show up as as best as they can to get beaten to get beaten which they did at the weekend. But Munster, Sam, like that's it. Kind of talked about. I'm sure Munster would have taken a point, you know, the day of they would have been happy enough with that losing bonus point. But to start the way that they did uh, and defensively play actually quite well. Do you think they'll be a little bit disappointed? 
I think they will because realistically as a Leinster fan you'd be disappointed with that Leinster performance there was a lot of handling errors that's not like them there was some some lackadaisical kind of defending uh, which I don't think will be seen very often now and Nina is seemingly in position so I, I think that that's one that they'll be happy they got away with that shows that they can get the win but I think Munster will be disappointed they didn't capitalise on that because you're not going to catch Leinster and the Aviva on an off day too often they did at the end of last year that was an off day it was a good result for it was a great result and great performance by Munster but you know, catching Leinster off on an off day is is a very rare thing, and Munster looked to be kind of flying early on, and then it was one miscommunication, mistimed offload attempt. I think it was Ebo was running in behind Burn, and he tried something, and it was probably not on. But they had been doing it so successfully up until that point that I think he was right to try it, uh, and then Kimston Park just capitalized on it, jumped on it, and. That's just such a gut punch. And that's the sort of thing. That's that little glimmer of light that you give Leinster that allows them back into the game. Because tactically, I think Munster had done their homework. I I don't ever remember O'Brien having an issue with high balls, but Munster seemed to think that it was definitely the the way into the game because they were peppering him with high balls and he wasn't finding it easy. And then they were trying a bit too hard to make something happen. Ross Byrne went off and I thought Frawley was good, but Leinster were going very side to side and they were they were shipping it on. They were forcing passes and there was a lot of knock-ons and and handling errors that isn't like them, you know, like the furlong, not usually one for dropping balls, but they weren't they weren't at the races. But then they started to step up the gears. And when you gave them that little burst of light, that little bit, bit of belief, and they managed to get it. And then Larmer got over for a try, which it looked at at the time like really excellent piece of individual skill to get past. Then when you see it on second, it looked like a bit of poor defending. I think it's kind of a mix of the two. It was an excellent result for Leinster. A very good display from Munster. I think Munster will be disappointed they didn't sneak it. Uh, I think they'll also be disappointed in what they did in that extra overtime bit. You know, when they were they're playing out with the penalty and then someone threw this big skip three pass for no reason and it nearly went out to touch and then they were 20 metres back from where they had started. That's the sort of thing that they'll be disappointed about. But I think overall, taking a point away from Leinster and the Avivas, you know, secretly you'll be quite chuffed with that going into that week. I think it's one of those, you look back in Munster's time, but like, that was a good point, whereas... When it's still a bit raw, you're probably like, God, oh, yeah, we they definitely had the chance to do it. Let's talk about the two tens. Obviously, Ross Bermondoff pretty much injured with after seven minutes, which is unfortunate. But uh, Bo Crowley and Frawley give very good accounts of themselves um, on Saturday night. Frawley, obviously, we've been keep we keep we keep on hearing he can play a ten. We actually saw it uh, on Saturday night. Westy, were you impressed by both both kind of young Irish tens on display? Yeah, I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed by Frawley first off because similar to yourselves. Similar to what you just said, I, I haven't seen much of him at 10. I've heard a lot about it. I've heard how he was going to be the saviour. How was this, that, and the other. Um, I know I didn't think he was all of that, but I do think he, he was quite well. He was, he was quite good. He was quite aggressive in his carries. I uh, thought he distributed well, although I, I would say I don't think the Leinster backline was as fluid as, as we're used to seeing it, and perhaps that's part of the reason. Um, but no, I thought overall, I, I thought Crowley again kind of showed his class and showed... Um, Showed why I guess now with, with Ross Byrne injured, if Ireland were playing tomorrow, he he is the first choice, and I think that I don't want to say that position is safe for him, but he has shown why he's been given that that kind of honour, and he's shown it'd be pretty hard to dislodge from it. But it is great to see like of Frawley come on that early. We've lamented so many times in a kind perspective that when changes are made early, it's quite disruptive for the team, and it can kind of disrupt your game plan. But um, so for the most part, Frawley not only slotted in quite well, but, but drove standards quite well. Now, as I said before, I, I do think they weren't as cohesive as we used to seeing them, but 
I don't think all of that falls at, at Frawley's feet, but um, I don't think it was a perfect performance, but I think it was a pretty strong performance, uh, especially one that was probably unexpected, with, you know, when you name the team sheet on a, on a Friday evening. Yeah, Crowley particularly, I just seem, he seems to be going from strength to strength, even it's the small things, but like the, the jackal turnover in the second half, you're like, God, that's that's impressive for someone so young. And he had Van der Fleer hanging off him too. It's not like he uh, it was a, you know, a, a light person hanging off him. But um, with, with with Ross Byrne out now, he's out for the Connacht game, Sam. Do you expect to see Frawley starting against Connacht or will it, will it be Prendergast versus Prendergast on Saturday? It's a hard one to know because Prendergast have been going well, and they look, you know, they look to be building on that and integrating him into the squad very smartly. You know, he's gotten more game time with an actual starting team instead of just those those aways that I was talking about in Cullen Riley's case. So I think that they'd like to put him in, but given the showing from Frawley at the weekend, I I if I was a Leinster fan would like to see more of that because I thought he brought a lot of good solid play. I thought he was a pass very early on that looked brilliant. He looked really comfortable in it. On the other side, if you're going for a 6-2 split, which they look to do a bit more often and probably look to do now that Neymar is going to be in- involved, he's the perfect sub option because he covers, you know, centre, he covers now out half, or like he has always covered out half, apparently, but he's playing more out half, he's played more out half, and he's shown that in a, in a very tough game. Uh, and he's played a good bit of fullback this year, so I think he's uh, the ideal bench man. So if you were going to have himself and Prendergast as the two, more likely that Frawley would start on the bench and you'd start Prendergast uh, just because the, the versatility of being that backup that Frawley brings to you. If I was a Leinster fan, I'd like to see a bit more of Frawley because I, I think that we've we've heard it for a long time and he, I thought he looked very good. And I don't know where else he gets into the squad if he's not going to be a 10 now because, you know, I wasn't mad about Henshaw at the weekend and I think he's probably third choice 12 now behind Osborne and Natai. But, you know, that's Frawley's at Frawley's at 12. Now he's been moved fullback and you're not going to dislodge Keenan. Jimmy O'Brien's played fullback for Ireland. So it's very hard squad to get into. And 10 could be his way in if Ross Burns out for a while. And you do, there is still an, a lack of understanding about what the long-term plan is to be there. If it's Ross Burns, if it's Harry Burns, if it's Sam Prendergast, or now if it's Frawley. So there, there's an opportunity there for Frawley. And I think he might want to go for it because we've heard in the past that he actually just wants to be a 10. He considers himself 10 and he was just playing 12 because he wanted to get on the pitch. So if you if that is to be believed and Ross Burns injured now, it's a good opportunity for him because you do need a maturity uh, from your ten as well. And Sam Prendergast is very young, and Ross Burns and Harry Burns just can't seem to stay fit and is still quite inexperienced as well. Yeah, you often how often do we see it in sports that one person goes then injured and it's it's the opportunity that someone else needs and they take it and run with it. So um, never actually someone injured. Ross Burns bicep. I don't know how long he'll be out for, but. Um, yeah, who knows? Opportunity just on Monday before we finish. Obviously, they confirmed today John Klein, John Hodnett, and Liam Coombs all signed contract contract extensions with the province. So Klein will be staying for uh, two more years. I know there was plenty of talk of him potentially leaving, so they'll be very very happy uh, to keep him at Munster, and he obviously seems very very happy to keep uh, to stay at Munster as well. Um, so yeah, a good bit of business there, uh, and it's great to see the artist formerly known as Simon Zebo on the pitch uh, at the weekend as well. Because I thought he'd just become a full time uh, analyst now, but no, apparently he still plays a bit of rugby. So um, he did look he did look sharp. So who knows? He could be back back to his towards his best. Um, moving on, then the last province in action, uh, Ulster were away to Glasgow uh, on Saturday as well. They lose thirty three points to twenty. Uh, but Sam, they started really well. They were fourteen points up, uh, and uh, did, did it fall apart, or did Glasgow just uh, move up through the gears? 
bit of both. I think the losing to so Doak comes on for Burns uh, and Flannery went, he, he cried off during the warm up. So that's, you know, that's two tens gone within like, what, 10, 15 minutes. So Doak comes on early and then you kind of lose the run of yourself. You're two tries up at that point and it gets very hard to do anything. And I do think Glasgow up the intensity and they up the pressure physically in the second half and really got a foothold into the game and and put Ulster to the sword, made it a lot harder for them to to do anything. I've seen it twice now this season, once after the Connacht game, once after this, where Dan Ireland has kind of bemoaned the ref. And I don't like that element of it. I thought he was a bit bitter when he was bemoaning the ref against Connacht. I thought this time as well, he said we were on the wrong side of the ref and it's very hard to do anything when that's the case. Now, I, I don't like that quote. And I hope that that was a, an out of context quote that I read. But to see that to coming in, you know, you don't want to be making excuses time and time again about the ref. I've been that fan in the past and I've tried my hardest to stop giving off about refs. And sometimes, yeah, you're amused by refs decisions. But I think at the end of the day, if Ulster look at themselves, they just weren't good enough uh, on the day. They started really brightly and it looked like that they were going to continue. And then some of the old failings kind of fell in and Glasgow stepped it up and Glasgow at home are an extremely hard team to beat. You know, they're they're never going to be, they're never going to like lay down and let you go. And they will have, they will have been seething at how easily they were kind of gotten on top of early on in the game. And the likes of Xander Fagerson, he brings a, a good bit of intensity and strength. And I, I think you saw that in the second half that they just physically just stepped it up and, if Glasgow were going to go the distance this season and, you know, maybe contest with Leinster, Munster, potentially like the Stormers, the Bulls, at the business end of the season physically is where they're going to want to do it. And they're going to want to kind of match everyone physically and play that and allow themselves to play. So a tough game for Ulster, but I don't think, no, I don't think that there was anything really they could have done. I think they started very brightly and that'll leave a bitter taste in their mouth because that's twice that's happened this year different contexts when they played against us they were a very weakened or rotated team this one wasn't as much but it's a you know it's a, it's a hard it's a hard kind of lesson to learn to do that twice in a season yeah it's a weird one Westy well I think sounds anyone any team that starts complaining about refs normally is not the sign of a happy team you know or at least internally but where do how do you view this also team uh, like it's I don't think they're playing very well, but yet, you know, they're still third the table. They're still going to win probably plenty of games. But would you, like, if it came down to, again, if we played, had them in a quarter final as it stands now, would you, would you fear them? Would you would you back them to beat us? What's your sort of, a, what would your, what's your opinion on them at the moment? Yes, I mean, I think they're kind of two different questions, really. From a comic perspective, uh, if we had them in a quarter final, I would fear them, yeah. I think they're a really strong squad. I think they've, also got some really good individual players. I, I do like Dan McFarlane overall as a coach. Um, I agree with Sam though. The kind of last couple of games or two of the last couple of games where he making kind of direct comments about the ref after the game. You know, you, you're a coach, whether you believe it or not, you are kind of meant to rise above it a little bit. But um, I I think I think they're a strong team. I think I think they lack a bit of uh, a bit of flair or a bit of like. Uh, clinicality or something. I think. I, I think the point you're trying to make is right. Right. I think they're going to perform well overall throughout the season because they're a strong squad. But they seem to lack that extra bit of sizzle or whatever. Um, where if you were somebody else, maybe if you were one of the South African teams or Leinster or Munster or or Glasgow, uh, 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 given the weekend's result, you don't fear them in a quarter final. From a college perspective, look, I, I'd always fear them in any game that we play them in because I think they are a really strong team. Um. 
I, I don't know. I can't really find the exact word that I'm looking for, but I, I do think I think there's something lacking that would take them to the next level. I thought maybe they got there two years ago. I thought Cooney had kind of pulled them through. That you know between the likes of having Marcel Cutsy, I thought that was he was a huge, huge squad player for them. Um, you know, I thought you know Pinar had left a really good legacy in the squad. I don't get me wrong. I still think that they're full of great players. I just don't think they've found that spark just yet. It's going to take them to be. A real champion. Now, look, you know, I said at the start of last season when they were scoring mall tries for fun, I thought they were going to do great. Um, when they beat Leinster a few years ago, I thought that they were really on the uh, Leinster twice two seasons ago. I thought they were really on a road to something. Um, but I just don't see what's been added necessarily that's going to change that. Yes, they've got kits off. Yes, he's the URC top 100 number one statistical player, whatever the fudge that means. And I do stand by what I said last week in the validity of that signing. And I think that will give them a lot. Um, but I don't think it's going to be the defining of their fate. I think there's a little bit more work to do. What it is, I'm not 100% sure what needs to be done, but I do think there's some X factor, and I maybe I hate using that term, but some little bit of of spark or clinicism or sorry clinicality or you know some mix of the two missing from that squad that really makes me think these guys are, are championship contenders. I think they're they're a strong squad that's going to be there thereabouts, but um, yeah, maybe just lacking that little bit of extra that that you need to kind of to to get trophies to get silverware. If I was an Ulster fan, I'd like to see more of Robert Balakoon because I think he's he is that X factor you're talking about, and I don't think that they get him on the ball enough. And I I know that's a tactical game plan. I I think it will hamper his ability to play for Ireland. We talked about like how Low and Mac make work for themselves, and they go they go looking for it, and that's why they're in the Irish squad. And you know they might not necessarily be speed merchants, but that's not what the Irish team needs in a winger. But we've seen with Conway, we've had finishers in the past. Yeah, he goes for work, looking for work a bit more than uh, Balakun does. But, you know, you've Earls and you've Conway, you've finisher, you've out and out wingers that we've had in the past. And I just don't see Ulster doing that with Balakun. I don't think that they get the best out of him at all. And it's, it's, I think, would be frustrating as an Ulster fan to be watching that, to see him and to know how good he can be. Because when he does do it, he does it so well for them. You know, he has highlights reels. But I don't think he does it enough for them. I think that's a game plan or a tactical point of view, a tactical system, because they don't seem to get it past the centres very often. And that would frustrate me as an Ulster fan. No, I agree. It, it is, you know, two or three years ago, he was, you know, it was, it was the next big exciting thing in Irish rugby, and it just hasn't, we haven't gone the next couple of steps with him, which is a shame. And it's not to say that it can't happen. I'm sure it can. But, uh, you know, is it fair to say that with Ulster as well? Like, I'm looking at that back row of Sheridan, Crudders and McNabney as well. Like there, there is a lot of young talent there as well, young players coming through. Like th- that might be the difference come the end of the season. Who knows? Um, mm. th- those kind of young players as well mixed in with obviously the, the usual bits of talent. But yeah, you're hearing, know, like, yeah. you're hearing a lot about that back, lo- back row. Crowder's got through some amount of tackling as well. I think he's 20, 30, 20 21 tackles. Uh, so he's very good. McNabney, I think that was his, his debut now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's uh, a 20 year old. And then they have McCann as well. So they they do have to, they've seemingly gotten past that idea that they weren't able to produce forwards and they seem to be doing it now. So you've got a good future ahead of them. But you said it so perfectly about a year ago where this Ulster team needed to capitalize on what they had in terms of full squad depth. I don't think they want to go into a rebuilding stage where they suddenly start being all 20 and 21 and saying we've had three or four years to get to where we are because you have a kids off now. You have a Cooney, you have Henderson coming to the end of his, time you've got a question at 10 but Flannery looks good and Burns will do it for you McCluskey 
middle of his career. Hume is kind of middle to start of his career. And then you've Stockdale, Balakoon. Like you've got a team there that wants to be a win now team. I don't think that they want to go into a transition. I think that they're too mixed between seasoned veterans, mid-career players and young players to start again. If they were to start again, they would probably have to chop the top off and go back to the basics. And I don't think that's where they want to be. No, I agree. They're sort of stuck in that no man's land of they're not good enough to beat the top, top teams in Europe, but then they're not. They're always going to be top three or four of the URC. <laughs> kind of in that weird. So it's, but look, who knows? Like we, I wouldn't have said Munster last year were good enough to win the URC and they went and won it. So it's not like you, you can just get hot at the right time of the year and go on and win the league. And then the whole narrative around the club changes. So, um, it'll be fun to follow as always. There's no lacking talent. There's no lacking any of that. But it just seems to be a weird vibe around the club at the moment. Um, but they're still sitting fourth, four wins from six. By no means disastrous, that's for sure. Um, all right, boys, that's covered all all of the games. Um, for it's always easier when the inter, when it's inter pro we can get two teams out at the one game. Um, and we'll be back. Obviously, uh, sorry, yeah, we'll touch on Leinster coming to town this week. Um, it's a huge, huge game. It's an inter pro. Annoyingly, they've kind of gotten any any potential rust that was there is gone probably now, and and there'll be a bit more flying form. Uh, but what can we? What what is the expectations, Westy, of of Leinster coming to town? I think I would say we're a bit more confident than in previous years. I would say we're a bit more confident in previous years. I would also say we've been really confident before and we've gotten thumped. So yeah, it doesn't really matter how confident we are. Um, look, it's, there's no. You can call it rust or whatever against Munster. Munster are always going to make it a little bit more difficult for Leinster to play maybe than we do just by the style in which they play rugby. Um, I think it's important for us as a team to keep the sports ground a difficult place to go. Um, so, you know, I would say in, in this one, I think the performance is really important. Um, maybe not more important than the result, but it's important that we ask questions of Leinster, it's important that we put pressure on Leinster, it's a sold out crowd now in, in the sports ground first one of the year which is fantastic um, but it's important that you know, even from a fan's perspective that, we, you know, that we're there and that we're heard um, and that we make sure it's a good atmosphere um, but from a team perspective I think we have to we have to put pressure on Leinster to try and impose ourselves on them. It's going to be really difficult. I wouldn't be surprised if they go quite strong again, they'll want to right a lot of the wrongs that we saw uh, or the, as you say the rustiness maybe more so than the wrongs that we saw at the weekend and they want to make sure they're adequately prepared for the European fixtures the week before so I don't see a massive amount of rotation unless they think it's the players are still too tired from the um, from the World Cup which I doubt my big hope is that Yakis Ninamar has this insane defensive plan that takes 10 days to implement so we catch them completely on the hop um, but yeah look and I think I think the, the, the performance is important it's, you know we are within reach of going a full calendar year undefeated in the sports ground, which would be unbelievable. Now, that's a, that's a little bit of unfair pressure to put on the fixture on Saturday, but I do think it's important to keep in mind, and it, it's not just about being undefeated in the sports ground, it's about making it a difficult place to go, and it's about causing Leinster some trouble, and yeah, potentially taking a point from the game, I think I think, I think think we'll have to, we will have to ride a lot of wrongs at the weekend, start stronger, have our defence a little bit tighter, and take opportunities to score because I've said a lot. I went on about it last year. I go on about it every year, but like this, this league is so tight. As you said at the top of the podcast, where we're level on points with teams three, four places above us. So we need to pick up points from these games that you know, um, 
on these difficult games. And I, I think we're capable of winning. I don't want to sound to be saying that we're shot in the foot before we begin. Um, but I, I think that we need to to drive standards in this game and impose ourselves. And you know, and and as they, as I said before, make the sports ground a difficult place to go for any team to pick up any points. Just Don Neenbar there. Sorry, I was listening to the Molecast, which is a Leinster fan podcast. It's actually very interesting. Uh, and this is something they said last week, which I had not heard before. But Lancaster apparently was uh, Lancaster and Goodman didn't do the offense defense thing the way people believed. Lancaster was unstructured play, and Goodman was structured play on both sides of the ball. So when Lancaster leaves and Goodman goes to a traditional uh, attacking uh, or on the ball, uh, what, what do you call it? offensive uh, play caller, offensive system? And then Neenbar comes in as defense uh, on the defensive side of the ball. That changes the structure entirely behind the scenes. So it will take a little bit of time to implement. And then Neenbar is obviously, you know, coming back from the World Cup. And Goodman was at the World Cup as well. So it was a, it's a big change there, which I wasn't aware of. I thought it was an offensive, defensive side of things, but it wasn't. Uh, so I just thought that was a really interesting thing that I, I had heard and I'd not heard that before. All the Leinster fans probably like, yeah, well, that was common knowledge. But I, I found it very interesting and think that that's uh, maybe one area and one reason as to why yes, they're getting results and they're playing decent enough, but they wouldn't be overly happy with their performances so far and they, they, they want to grow into it. And like Wes, you said, hopefully that's in 10 days' time and not five days' time. Yeah, big time. Just on the on the depth of the league, I think there's been a different team topping the league after every round so far, um, which is pretty pretty cool and pretty rare, I'd say, for most leagues. So considering we're six rounds in, so a real, real testament to the depth. Uh, I will... I think we should post, or I think we should post, should I say, a, a bet for the for the weekend. Whichever team wins gets to keep the other Prendergast. Oh, I don't I'm know. Saying. I'm not. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not good for us, but uh, I mean, just imagine if you could. Though that would be a must must watch TV. Uh, I think that would be pretty cool. But no, about, I don't think we should take that bet. What about double or nothing on O'Brien's, and we get their Sean O'Brien? And he can come out of retirement and play for us, so we can have oh, two. Oh, that's Sean O'Brien and Jimmy, Jimmy O'Brien. Oh, Jimmy O'Brien, yeah, and that works as well. O'Brien as well. Uh, there's a, there's a few O'Briens there, uh, and and in terms of the Sean O'Brien coming out of retirement and playing for us, uh, I think I read somewhere online the Dragons are potentially getting their backs coach to play out half for them this weekend because they have such an injury crisis, which is worrying at rugby point of view. Yes, I would say that's worrying. Correct. It depends who it is, obviously, but yeah, worrying. But uh, yeah, trying to frantic we'll check see. now when we play Dragons. Hopefully, it's soon. <laughs> <laughs> soon, it's not soon. I think we have a pretty rough uh, fixtures yeah. until uh, New Year. <laughs> Inter- a lot of Inter- 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 <laughs> European games until yeah. New Year. Correct. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll 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 we'll, we'll uh, brainstorm the Prendergast bet for a little bit more and see uh, see if the URC wants to get involved with that. But could be fun. Uh, we'll wrap it up there, boys. Uh, we will say, look, at it's uh, Christmas party season and the Master of None Christmas party is coming up soon. Um, we don't obviously charge for this podcast, but there is a link on my Twitter bio if you want to maybe send us a pint or send us a fiver for a pint and it'll all go towards the kitty of uh, the Master of None Christmas party, which is also my 30th, uh, conveniently. Uh, that worked out really well. Uh, but yeah, if you want to, if not, no problem at all. It's only there if you uh, if, if you enjoyed the podcast over the last couple of years. Um, we'd obviously really appreciate it, but if not, no worries at all. Boys, we'll wrap up there. We'll be back next week, of course, to uh, to, to talk about how we're going to fit Sam Prendergast into our system. 
um, you know, the potentials of getting them on the podcast, maybe, hopefully, or crying that we've lost uh, one of our best players uh, to, to, to Leinster. If we, could get the, if we could get the brothers Grimm, Sam and Key and Prendergast to be on the podcast together, it'd be, it'd be excellent listening. It would be excellent listening, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk to, we'll talk to the representation maybe and see, but uh, lads, appreciate it as always, and we'll catch you next week. Night-night.